This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. We're going to do you a minute. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! 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 Good morning. Happy Friday. Mike Lefko with you. No Salk. No, Brock. You get me. You get Justin and Mora like you're used to. You actually get what I think is going to be a really fun Friday. We're going to have Dave Wyman at 730. Yes, we're going to rouse the bear, wake him up, get him to talk Seahawks football at 730. Uh, we're going to have Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun in to, not in, I mean, we'll have him on to talk about this Mariners Orioles series. That's going to be a fun one starting today, if it happens. Not to be the downer, guys, but... Lot of uh, a lot of thunderstorms in the Baltimore area, so not sure if this game will actually happen today. But we'll talk about it. We'll preview the weekend series, and then I think the people have demanded this. Is, is this right? You guys, you guys know you're here every Friday. Have the people demanded that Stacy Ross comes in every Friday at nine o'clock? It just seems like that's the the standing appointment. So she'll be here. Yeah, I think Friday ever nine o'clock. Since her and Salk had that epic uh, kind of Mariners showdown. They were just like, well, we Stacey better come in at yeah. nine or we riot. Was it that or was it the Vanderpump Rules convincing? Maybe that's you. Probably. Show. Probably. But uh, yeah, though, it's the three of us for now. Plenty of good guests. And I have to say, I'm very appreciative of Salk that he took off knowing that the Mariners would win. So he left me with a win because, you know, you guys have talked about some losses this week. You guys have had some tough conversations. Here I come sauntering in and the Mariners are coming off their best win of the week. So makes it a little bit easier. So somehow Salk knew because sports are rigged and he knew they would win and said, you know what? I'll leave Lefko uh, with the win here. Also, every time you fill in some sort of crazy breaking news yeah, happens. Yeah. So just waiting on what that's going to be for today. Um, I hope that people don't take me seriously because someone will inevitably take right, me yeah. seriously and be like, yeah, they are rigged. What other explanation is there for the Yankees committing three errors in the third inning or the Mariners all of a sudden getting a home run from Colton Long and scoring 10 runs when they couldn't score any other time? But it Good is for Colton. It is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, great for Colton. Did that man clutch the trident like it was a prize possession, like it was a, a toddler clutching a teddy bear or a stuffed animal? Like you? Yes, exactly. And that kind of summed up the whole game of, okay, when things are going good, it doesn't fix everything. And it's not the end all be all for the season because there are still issues lingering. There are still some potential signs of good. But in that moment, everything went well. And that kind of summed up the the whole game of, yeah, this is a, a fun kind of throwaway moment. But uh, it defined the, the win, the, the 10 run output, four home runs, four runs in the first inning. Something the Mariners have only done one at a time this season back on April 30th. But yeah, that was the highlight. And it, and it did feel good. And I think he was the star of the show. I mean, everyone was interviewing Colton Wong. After the game, he talked for nearly six minutes. Uh, John Morosi was out there. It was MLB's showcase game or something. So he interviewed Colton Wong afterwards. And uh, it just kind of reminded you that even though it's been a, a really tough season for Colton Wong specifically... That's a pretty good guy. It's a cool guy. It's a fun interview. And he's been on, I think, all three of our shows on this station. And it's kind of a shame we haven't heard from him more because he's a good kind of self-deprecating interview. But uh, it hasn't been much reason to interview him. Yeah, I think it's easy to kind of get really frustrated with someone because these, you know, not only was he not hitting, but the mistakes were happening defensively. But, you know, last night you realized that, you know, he's human and... It's nice to see this happen for him because as frustrated as we are, 
I'm sure it's 10 times as much for him. Yeah, it, uh, it's got to be. If you're an athlete, you come into a new team and, and you're struggling and then you face the, the bulk of the scrutiny and then you still can't figure out what's going on and more and more struggles get exacerbated. So in that moment, uh, I think you saw a release of a, of a lot of frustration and it was more of just the capper on what was a, a pretty comical win. Because after, totally. after the first two games, the fact they just come out and put up 10 runs in four innings, it's like, yeah, well, of course. Well, of course this would happen. This was also a little bit of what happened to us the games before of the bottom of the lineup actually having some pop and hitting some, like, I guess it's just mostly Colton in that moment. But when you look at the last two games and you're like, wait a minute, who are these guys hitting home runs against the Mariners? Who are the guys at the bottom of the lineup? Besides Jake Bowers, who's the McKinney? Was the, was the two nights in yeah. a row? And it's like, uh, okay, Colton Wong, it's your right. turn. It felt good to see. Yeah, well. It's okay. nice to see him do it without JP, too, because he's mm-hmm. kind of been the guy that brings that consistency. It's uh, right. I mean, JP Crawford out. Maybe Colton Wong's not even in the lineup uh, if JP Crawford's healthy because Caballero has gotten more at bats, even uh, against those, those right handers. So we'll see. But I'm just going through the text. The texts are, you guys get some good texts because some of them come in in the immediacy after the game. They what? They kind of like queue them up so they're ready to read right at the start of the day. So just going back through some of these and, and the joking contrast after the two games of, oh, I'm done, I'm out. And then a couple texters already drinking the Kool-Aid today. The Mariners are so back. I'm sure a little self-righteous, not that self-righteous, joking, you know, self-deprecating there. But we haven't even um, mentioned Brian Wu either. Man. Oh, I know. No, I want to I want to get into him plenty. And I think we'll talk a, a lot of Mariners this first hour and then into seven o'clock because uh, we'll have Jerry again at 630 and we'll kind of get into what this win means at seven. And if this is finally the game that jumpstarts this Mariners team, I think that's been the big. All right. Do we get our hopes up again? Is this the time? Hey, you're not going to fool me this time. So maybe this is. And by all indications, nothing has shown that it could be. But we'll kind of di- dive into that more. Maybe this is the actual kick they need. Maybe it's the spark, and, and Brian Wu really keyed that as well. Uh, it got lost in the fact, it really did, at least for me, that Brian Wu had a no-hitter. Because yeah. you have 10 runs right away. So the the hilarious first inning and then the third inning with the the little league play three errors on one play. So after all that, you're just kind of cruising. All right. The Mariners are up huge. Oh, wait. Oh, Brian Wu was a no hitter through five innings. So that was, that was a fantastic outing. I mean, he has been really solid over his last two starts. And I think that we forget because of what the Rangers did to him that, all right, this is another young promising arm. And the Mariners have done such a good job developing these guys, almost the same mold, the Kirby Miller. Now Brian Wu mold that you don't walk guys. You strike out a lot, and he did have a season high in walks yesterday, but it's against a, a pretty good hitting lineup compared to a couple of teams he's faced, like the White Sox. But after his performance, to go out there and hold the Yankees lineup down, and I know it is one of the worst hitting Yankees lineups that the Mariners might see, but still, to have a young pitcher like that, that's incredibly encouraging. He, he kind of got thrown into it at a in a rough spot. Oh, really you know, did, Marco yeah. Marco goes out. I don't think they were quite ready to bring him up, and then, yeah, has a bad Bad first outing. The team's not playing well around him. So it's just nice to see that he can keep his confidence and go out there and do what he did last night. And did you get to see his parents were there, too? I saw Morosi yeah. posted a picture with them. So that's fun, too. Yeah. So a great, great win all around. It doesn't fix any of the hanging issues that have kind of loomed over this team. 
at least not yet, but in the immediacy of the moment, it feels great. And, and yeah, I think Shannon mentioned to me on post game yesterday that, yeah, Wu had 48 hours notice. We forget that, that he had to already come up, get in there, get acclimated, face a Rangers lineup that is one of the best in baseball, and they got to him. I mean, that's a, that's a rough start. And we kind of had built up those unfair expectations of, oh, Look at George Kirby, who came out and was great immediately. Or Bryce Miller, who had one of the best debuts over his first few starts uh, in any pitcher, any rookie pitcher, especially for the Mariners. So the expectation was that Wu would do the same. He didn't. You had to lower him after that. But he has been very solid. And and that's another highlight of a uh, a really good pitching staff. It's just the offense is going to dictate the conversation. I'm sure for everyone, right? I mean, for me, it will. I know for you guys, for all the listeners here. No matter what the pitching does, they have already set a standard that's almost impossibly high. So it's the offense. Every single game that has to come out and perform or else the pitching is just going to be an afterthought. So, yeah, very nice night for Brian Wu. The offense comes through a great outing. The four runs in the first, the four home runs for just the third time this season. So a lot of good to take away from there. But we have a, a lot more to get into. We have a lot of football to talk about, which feels weird to say, right? This is the the deadest of dead times for football. We're in late June. Training camp starts in a month. There's nothing going on. Um, I'm going to ask Wyman some things about that. Like, what do football players do during this uh, this off time? And we know that GMs and coaches just kind of hold their breath in fear of anything in the news. Like, you don't want to hear from your players if they're gone, right? This is the time where if you're a GM or you're a coach, you're like, uh-oh. You better not be see any headlines with my players in there. Jack Jones tried to take two firearms through security at the airport. Yeah, that's uh, it's your Patriots problem <laughs> over there, not the Seahawks. I, I think the Seahawks have kind of found a nice rhythm there. They don't have to worry about that over the last couple of off seasons, but it's certainly something they have had to worry about in the past. So we'll get into that. We will uh, talk a lot more about where the Seahawks could be in relation to the rest of the NFC. There's some interesting stuff One person around the NFL, pretty high on the Seahawks, and a couple other people think, all right, there's potential, not sure where they are yet, so uh, all that coming up. Plenty more Mariners as we get set for a key Orioles series because this is a team in Baltimore that has already ascended and now kind of surpassed the Mariners, and it's kind of a team where everyone thought the Mariners would be. So we'll get into more of that, talk to uh, one of their beat writers, Nathan Ruiz, at 8.30, and uh, all the, the fun shenanigans. I think we have a ranked that people will enjoy Back to the bread and butter always of rank. Enjoy. You always enjoy it. I know Mora doesn't always enjoy People it. People always. I'm sorry, Mora. You won't get the reprieve from a normal sulk ranked. It might be back in, in that vein. Oh, so, really? yeah, we'll get into all that. But coming up, there's uh, one key thing you need to know about the Orioles series. It's the Brock and Salk Show. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Mariners salvaged the series over the Yankees behind four home runs yesterday. Next pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep into the gap in left center field. Bader going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Into the Mariners' bullpen. Ty France with his seventh home run of the season. It gives the Mariners a 6-0 lead. Home runs by Colton Wong. And now Ty France here in the second. Holy smokes. Yes, indeed. What a start by the Mariners here in the Bronx. They're doing the bombing tonight. 
Third time this year they've done that in a game, four home runs. April 4th against the Angels and April 30th at the Blue Jays the other times. That one was a big one for Ty France, his first home run on the road this season. He also extended his on-base streak to 16 games. So after that win, it's a uh, big opportunity. Again, a chance to get a series win against a team with a winning record. That starts tonight in Baltimore. Mariners roll out Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller, and George Kirby this weekend. Game one today at 4.05. You can get your pregame coverage beginning right here on Seattle Sports at 3 o'clock. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, unfortunately, the Mariners aren't going to have any position player starters in this year's All-Star Game. MLB unveiled the finalists at each position with the Phase 2 voting to then pick each starter running from Monday through Thursday. Are you confused yet? Maybe, probably. I don't know. MLB has made this kind of a made-for-TV event where they stagger all this. So you have Phase 1 voting, then Phase 2 coming up. You'll vote again for the finalists. The starters will be announced at the end of next week. But all you need to know is pretty much that the Rangers and the Blue Jays have a finalist at essentially every position among the position player starters. Now, pitchers are not picked by the fans, so we'll get those announcements. A chance the Mariners have uh, one or two or maybe even three pitchers, but they won't have a position player. You vote for the starters, but the top vote-getters in each league are automatic starters, and that would include Ronald Acuna Jr. for the National League and Shohei Otani in the American League. Not surprising on that one. So Acuna gets one of the outfield spots while Shohei Otani is in at the DH. Here's the third thing you need to know. And another thing that probably wasn't too surprising in NBA circles, Victor, Victor Wembanyama, who has been listed anywhere from uh, seven foot two to seven foot four, maybe even a seven foot five out there. You know, he's he's pretty tall. You get past seven feet, you're pretty tall. He goes number one overall to the Spurs in the NBA draft last night. With the first pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, I was more concerned with the fact that uh, a guy named Scoot went third overall. Trailblazers picked Scoot Henderson third overall uh, in the NBA draft. But also some key NBA news and something that will kind of concern us around here. The NBA announced that Climate Pledge Arena will host another preseason game this season. The Rain City Showcase is back on October 12th. This year, it's the Clippers and the Jazz. Last season, sold-out crowds saw the Clippers and the Trailblazers and also got to witness uh, Steve Ballmer and his great shenanigans. So that'll take place again on October 12th, the Clippers and the Jazz. A couple other things you need to know though, and we will get into this more uh, a little bit later on, I think in the 8 o'clock hour. Rob Manfred, in an interview with Time, said he regrets granting the Astros players immunity during the investigation into their sign-stealing scandal. That came after their World Series, and now he gives an interview, and maybe he thought the... uh the time had passed, and enough time had passed that it was okay to admit that. But I don't think that goes over well. I don't know. Didn't seem like many people go were well uh, with, uh, receptive to that. One of the hosts on your show, Bob. Yeah. Well, what do you want him to say at this point? It, it's almost like he, he, Rob Manfred, felt the statute of limitations was up, and it's like, ah, oh, you know what? People have forgotten about that. Yeah, I screwed up there. I think that makes it worse, especially coming from Rod Manfred, who just he doesn't get a lot of leeway from fans because he almost seems to treat baseball as a pure monetary product you know he called the world series trophy a hunk of metal he had that uh the videos of him golfing or practicing his golf swings in the midst of a lockout a very tense labor negotiation so rob manford doesn't get a lot of leeway and then to come out and say yeah you know what i probably shouldn't have given the astros immunity 
we've seen the the Bregman smug face, uh, all those players afterwards. Yes, and and Bob really jumps on that. But I agree here. It's uh, it's not a good look to say, yeah, you know, the Astros got away with it. Maybe they shouldn't have. So that uh, that's something we can get into more. And then another thing you need to know, Justin certainly will care about this as well. I'm not sure how many other people uh, are big college baseball fans, but in the College World Series semifinals last night, LSU hit a two run walk off homer in the bottom of the eleventh to beat the number one overall seed, Wake Forest, advance to the championship series, which begins on Saturday. Florida and LSU, set your uh, calendars now, a rematch of the 2017 title. That was Florida's only national title, so those two teams play. It was very striking because this was going on at the same time as the Mariners game. So I was watching it on the computer here. I was watching the Mariners game, listening to it, obviously. And you had a very blowout, high-scoring Mariners game. And then the contrast of all this drama at a game that I couldn't really pay attention or care about. But 0-0 with a spot in the championship series on the line, that's high stakes right there. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it live. I was following on my phone with some stuff we were doing last night for work. But ugh, I mean, I was, I was rooting for TCU here, so I kind of feel like I, I stopped caring as much once they got beat out. But yeah. I, mm. obviously the rematches are always fun. Florida's fun to watch. I've been that's been my I don't know, you can't call them a sleeper or a dark word. Like my second team that I've been sort of quietly cheering for behind TCU. So I'm gonna go for Florida here. Basically the point is don't sleep on college baseball. Dude, it's so fun. Florida, don't sleep on college baseball. College baseball is so okay. fun to watch. It I is. Know. It really is. It, it really it, is. It's uh it's it's addicting. It's it's fast paced. There's different traditions and superstitions and things that you just don't get to see at different levels of baseball. Especially if you've been watching a team that struggles offensively. Like we have in the Mariners. Uh, college baseball, yeah. you're going to get some offense. The exception was last night because you had two aces on the mound, including a guy for LSU who's going to be probably a top five pick in the draft. Uh, so he'll be here, I think, uh, in Seattle because the MLB draft is coming up. I know you're going to have some involvement with that, Justin. Yeah. Uh, not, the MLB, not the MLB draft. Actually, Just the uh, whole the entire weekend, weekend, though. Weekend, yeah, I'll get weekend, to be, if yeah. anybody's going to the uh, Swingman Classic, the HBCU game that Griffey's putting on on that Friday, uh, the Futures game, Celebrity Softball game, and then, of course, the Home Run Derby and All-Star game. I did find out that I will be doing some some working for that. So you are part, you're watching. hitting in the Home Run Derby is what you're saying. I am going to be taking... A lot of swings. <laughs> okay. I'm coming out of my shoes in one way or another. At you're the home run you're like the um, in-between batter entertainment. You know, if they need, like Whatever the audience need. needs to get hyped up. It's almost like a commercial break, but you're hyping up the crowd. One batter goes, they yep. step out. Justin steps in, takes a my few turn. hacks. It's, it's, and it's then the next one goes. What we all want to see in every like sport at once in a while. Just put a regular person in there so we can get a baseline <laughs> for we know how how gifted and freakishly talented these people are. That's yeah. what, whatever it takes. Yeah, well, that's coming up soon uh, in about two weeks. So we'll get into plenty of that as well. But coming up next, uh, Mike Salk, Jerry Depoto, a great conversation. You're going to want to hear this. It's the Brock and Salk Show. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Good morning, Jerry. Mike, how are you? I'm good. How are you? What's the what is the frustration level at today? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's been an ongoing level of frustration, and uh, I it's I, I'd like to tell you that that I hope it's reached its reached its peak, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, it's not been a great run for us, and. And I think we're all aware of that. It's a, I, I feel like we've at least identified where the issues lie, and, and now it's it's on us to, to figure out how to pull ourselves out of it. Where do the issues lie? Our offense just doesn't score runs, and you know it's a it's been a problem for quite some time now. We've we've over the last 
six weeks, I think, done a better job of generating base runners on a fairly consistent basis, uh, last few days aside. But, you know, we, we still really struggled to convert that into runs consistently. And, you know, the, that's the big issue with this team is consistency. Um, we show flashes. We have fun players. I, I think we've, you know, we show our capability. You know, on season, we, we have a positive D to Z number despite an absurdly high strikeout rate for our lineup. We, we've generated a positive run differential, and still we find ourselves, you know, scrapping and clawing to try to figure out how to separate ourselves from 500. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I heard Scott use the word compete yesterday, and and I guess I was a little concerned to hear that. I mean, why why what what does the word compete mean to you when he says you got to compete out there every inning right from the start? You know, I think it's it's on all sides of the ball. It's a it's a level of focus, which I think we've all seen our team's level of focus. You know, it, it comes and it goes, and when we are really focused and we are intent in the batter's box, and we are putting on good at-bats, we're taking the balls, swinging at the strikes. If our pitchers go out and drill the strike zone, we generally see positive results. And, you know, one, I guess, a, a trait that has, has shown itself with this team is, is for a three-, four-, five-inning stretch or even three games, we, we teeter and we seem to disappear. And I think when Scott says compete – that's what he's referencing is, is it's 24 seven. It's 162 games a year that you are dialed in and you are competing. And if you let your guard down that the, the other team is going to pass you by. That's, you know, effectively a reference. So I, I, I just, to uh, you know, I hear that word compete. I hear focus. I hear, you know, consistency. How do those differ from effort? Oh, I think the effort is unquestionably there. This is, it's, uh, you know, this team works as hard as any team you're going to be around. Team staff shows up at the crack of dawn. I mean, truly, it's the earliest uh, I've ever seen the staff get to the ballpark. They put the work. I, I wish I could tell you why, and maybe it is that they're just there too long. The, the focus is is too much on, on trying to pull themselves out instead of just breathing and having a little bit of fun with it. But I'm hopeful that as we get to the break and are able to reset ourselves here in a couple of weeks, that that we come out on the other side of this in close proximity to 500 with a chance to to have a better second half once we change our focus, because I think we need it. Jerry, uh, we've talked about the approach at the plate the last couple of weeks, right? And and some of the messaging that changed and going back up the middle. And it seemed like it had, it was, it was working for a little while and certainly against the Marlins. And then I don't know the last couple of games, as you mentioned, the old approach seemed to be back. Where, where does that disconnect occur? Uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's just a panic. I don't know another way to, to describe it. And when you run into Lance Lynn on a day when you strike out 18 times, you know, you, it's everybody, we walk away winning that game and nobody feels good about that win. It's you, you get on the, the plane, you fly to New York and your general thought is, you know, we pulled one out there and it's a roughly, we had three good at bats in the game and we were able to manage that because our pitching was excellent. And, you know, I, I think you get in uh, to New York on Tuesday and you're facing what has been the best pitcher in our league, and, and he gave it to us. You know, it, it got a difficult time. And now when that piles up and it's two days, it, it starts to get on you. And you're over four turned into over eight. And, you know, now you're out there on day three, and we've talked about this so many times. It, it's, 
it is uh, this is timeless in baseball that when you feel that 0 for 8, that 0 for 12 start to pile up on you, you really start to press, and it's hard to succeed when you press. And you know, we, we watched it last night against a fairly inexperienced pitcher who had been struggling in AAA before coming back to the Yankees. We went out and we made a lot of soft outs early in counts. We didn't really do the things that you have to do to grind. Uh, a team that, frankly, they're down to. You know, the Yankees were down when we came in. And, you know, we let them off the hook a little bit last night in, in that focus. You know, we didn't focus on the things that we can do to, to compete against that team in a meaningful way. So one of the things then that I found myself trying to figure out as as we've watched them struggle, and and I know baseball can kind of go in a few different directions at once, do you think that they are at times wound too tight or are they too loose? You know, I wish I knew. I would I would say that this is not a tight team. You know, that that's not a, a an issue with this team. We have we have some players that are maybe on on the scale of intensity uh, on you know, zero to 10, some that are closer to 10, some that are closer to zero, but this is not a tightly wound team, perhaps too loose, you know, perhaps, you know, believing that, ah, we've done this before. We'll turn on the water when it's time. It's a tough thing to do in this league. And you know, it's a, I think we're learning lessons. We're still a fairly young team, you know, by the standards of this league. And, and there's still enough season to do the things that we need to do to, to right the, the wrong, to, to turn the, the ship around. But at the end of the day, it's, it's going to require focus. And, and right now we are distracted young players. We are, we are veterans who are not having great years that are trying to figure out how to get back to their norms. And we've talked about it before. When that's happening collectively, you know, it's hard to find the, the stabilizing voice in the middle of the room because everybody's focus might be on something different than just the, the outcome of the game that night. Do you think they're feeling some of the weight of the expectations heading into this year? Perhaps. You know, I, I can't say that for sure. That's probably on an individual basis. I don't think that we are collectively, you know, an, or as an organization, I don't feel like we're feeling that way. The season, we thought we were a good team. Uh, and, and frankly, so did the pundits. Like we snuck up on anybody. We were a playoff team last year. We won 90, in a row, 90 games two years in a row. I... I really don't think this is a case of, of you know, crumbling to the expectation. I, I think this is more the case of you know, our expectations of ourselves are so high. And from me to Scott to every player in that room, and, you know, right now, I'm sure we just haven't, we haven't done the things that we are capable of doing. And, and I think everybody in that room feels that. We don't need external forces to remind us that we're falling short of, of our goals or whatever were we've fallen short of our own and and that's the most important thing is getting back to uh, effectively doing the things that we know we can do well and that's probably a good uh, lead in into julio i mean the, the guy who is the best most talented guy in this team who can do things that none of us have seen uh, I, I got some of this research uh, sent to me from from fox i'm kind of curious about it. it says julio and and this is related to his swing decisions says it looks like some of his decline is his own swing decisions rather than how pitchers are pitching him last year he tied for eighth in baseball with a swing take run value this year he's tied for 142nd specifically on fastballs he says he's been less aggressive on hitting on more hittable fastballs at the heart of the plate and more aggressive on tougher pitches around the edges of the plate and farther outside. 
how how does that how does that how does that tend to happen to a player who's as talented as Julio? We may have lost Jerry. <laughs> yeah, or... no, here I am. Oh, there we go. Oh, we found Jerry again. Phew. Yeah, I walked closer to a window. It's a uh, it's a rainy day in New York. This is uh, <laughs> not good on cell phone coverage. No but problem. We uh, I the the question, and and I think you know what you just described with Julio. You could effectively plug in almost all of our hitters, and that has that has been a collective struggle for us, and an area where we've generally done very well in the last couple of years with a lot of the same personnel, you know, a lot of the same players, a lot of the same coaches, a lot of the, a lot of the same theory. We, we're just not executing. And, and this is that, that, I guess that stress that we talked about a moment ago, when, when you're not performing to your own expectations, to whatever your own standard is, you start to push. And I don't think it's that, you know, Julio or any of our other hitters is thinking, I need to get the big hit. I really don't think that. I I think they're out there trying to figure out how to find themselves and how to stand up to their own goals and expectations. And, and, and it forces you to do things, you know, I guess the emotion of that, the, you know, the belief that there's something more that you're not achieving, you, you go out and you try to do more, but, but I don't think it is, it is, you know, driven toward the, I have to be the one to drive in that run. I know that's going to be an easier uh, explanation for, you know, the game of the week crew or someone who's not around this team every day. But, you know, if you watch our team, they're not a tight group. They're not, you know, this is a hardworking group. I, I really do think they have high standards for themselves and they know we're falling short. And this is the result of it is that you're just pushing harder and harder and when you push harder, you swing at pitches you just shouldn't swing at. And Julio's a good example of it. Do you think that any of this uh, was foreseeable? Could it have been mitigated with a with a different plan heading into the year? Don't know how. You know, and I've said this before on the airwaves. I, I take full responsibility for putting this roster together. This is the same team, the same core of a team that 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 did the things that it did a year ago, and frankly, played a pretty good season in 2021. And you know, our pitching has generally stood up to, to expectations and, and then some. Uh, it's a, could we talk about park factors and weather in the early season? Sure. It's, it's now the third week in June, and we're still doing the same thing and, and making the same mistakes. And at some point, you know, we have to, we have to collectively get back on track. And, and I don't think it's going to be one player at a time. I really don't. I think this is going to be one of those things that is contagious and when we have the, the standard setter in the room that says, guys, this is the way we do it. And uh, we just we have not really struck on that. I, I wish I knew what, you know, what we could have done at the, at the start to mitigate this. It's a collective struggle that I don't think anybody saw coming, which is why we're having this conversation and why you know, it's widely written about. We are falling short of standards that were – standards for a reason they were expected for a reason there's a good talented baseball team that's not playing like a good talented baseball team we don't get to see the behind the scenes we don't get to see what goes on uh in the clubhouse on the plane you know before the games etc how do you think scott is handling you know this this it struggles i don't know if that's the right word but sort of the situation where it is 
Yeah, it's a, it's funny. We talk about this like you know we're at DefCon one, and it's it, again we're we're hovering around five hundred, <laughs> and it's a it's a crummy place to be. We've talked about that, and I I think Scott has handled it with equal parts. Let's find the solution, and you know let's raise the standards. What we are trying to achieve here, it's we've we've got our trackables, we we our measurables, the things that we show the players on a fairly regular basis. You know, we have gone through multiple iterations of trying to to change the messaging, the way we are getting information to our players. We've tried to tamp down the information so that it's not too much to absorb. Uh, but roughly it's the same programs that that most of these players thrived with a year ago. And, you know, I, I, I don't know a way to say it other than we're going through, you know, roughly the sophomore struggle. And when I say sophomore struggle, it's not for players who are rookies in 2022. It's we graduated from an interesting team to 21 to a contending team in 22. Now we are sophomore contender and we're finding it, harder than we thought we would. And now we have to figure out how to, to take that, that the, the hard and make it easy. And now I, like I said, there's a lot of season left to do that, but we got to get to work. Uh, usually we just sort of run through some injury uh, updates and I guess we'll do that now. Um, Marco Gonzalez, any, any update on where Marco's at? No, none, still no timeline. And, uh, you know, he's not yet begun a, a full-fledged throwing program. We're waiting to see uh, on uh, where he is physically. And, and until he gets down that slope, like we talked about next uh, or last week, until he gets down that slope, we really won't have a timeline on, on his return. And do we know any more about J.P. Crawford? We'd heard he was going to have an MRI. Uh, JP is just day to day. I, I don't know uh, where we are in terms of his availability today. He was available yesterday for you know in-game replacement if necessary. So I don't know that we're dealing with you know anything that that should be considered more than short term. But obviously he's been out for a game and a half, and and would love to have him back. He's part of what makes this go. And then I saw Trevor Gott was supposed to pitch last night. I guess I never checked to see whether he did. How's he doing? Uh, Goddard's doing okay. You know, he's, uh, it's, it's hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see how he comes out. And, you know, the, the goal is one more outing. And uh, if that goes well, he hasn't missed too much time and, you know, he's physically responded very well, but as, as is always the case with players returning from injury, wait till he wakes up today, fills us in on how he's feeling and then we'll assess from there. Well, Jerry, we appreciate you taking some time with us today. Obviously, frustration uh, everywhere in the last couple of games don't help that. One of these days, we'll see if we can do this after a winning Wednesday. But uh, until uh, next week, thank you. We appreciate it. Have a uh, good rest of the road trip. Appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, good stuff there from uh, Mike and from President of Baseball Operations, Jerry Depoto. And I think you saw a lot of that play out, at least in a very small sample size of yesterday. Ten runs. They came early, 10 runs in the first four innings. You jump on a team, you don't let up. And it's actually, it's interesting because one, not key moment of the game, but one moment that kind of felt like, all right, why is this happening? The very long review when Scott Service wanted to make sure that Mike Ford got to third base like he should have in the third inning in that comical situation where the Yankees had 10 errors on one play. They threw the ball everywhere except to their intended target. And Mike Ford was standing at second. Scott Service went out there, made sure the umpires looked at it. They had to then go confer about what was going on, talk amongst themselves, go take a coffee break, then the review, and then finally, Mike Ford is at third, but what happened? Sack fly, he came in. 
And that just shows kind of the importance of the, the little things, why runs are important, why the Mariners were able to build on that. They got that run in and the Yankees never really had a chance. So all of that that you just heard came to fruition in this moment. Now, does it continue? I mean, we're going to keep talking about this at seven o'clock as well, but there was certainly a wake up, a recognition in whatever change, whatever happened, whatever this team needed to do in that one situation yesterday, it paid off. I mean, four runs right away. Didn't let up. You scored. You you didn't let a starter hang around. And that's been the issue sometimes that there have been innings where it seemed like the Mariners have had a chance to knock out a starter, especially in the early innings, where if you can get a guy off his rhythm, the whole tenor of the game changes. They haven't been able to do that, but yesterday they did. And Domingo Herman did not have his best stuff. But finally, the Mariners made him pay for it. So you get him for four runs. It's only the second time this season the Mariners scored four runs in an inning. And it dramatically changes the game. Now, it's like, why can't this team do this every game? And certainly impractical to say, yes, why, why 10 runs every game? But approaches like that or consistent pressure on a pitcher, I think that's just what everyone's looking for. And it does take that contagious approach that Gary, uh, Jerry was mentioning. And we'll get into that more. But that's what it seems like, right? Just a, yeah. if everyone kind of chips in, which the Mariners have not been able to get. They have not been able to get that consistency throughout the lineup. If you can get that, who knows what could happen? And the contagious goes the other way quickly with this team, too, though, which is what I am most concerned about. When things start to go bad, they go really bad. Except for things that was the previous two games, Jared Kelnick was the only player in, in my view that looked like he had kept the focus, kept an approach, uh, and had a couple good at bats, saw walks, saw more pitches in one at bat than the entire inning prior. And that was the only part that I saw carry over and then yesterday of course he doesn't have a great day yesterday but consistency sure but vibes in baseball when they go bad go really bad and they not aren't seemingly capable of piling on the good when the good happens except for in this game yesterday of course they pile on a bunch of runs but consistently five or six or seven of those in a row haven't haven't happened this year yet well all it takes is one and the problem is we haven't found the one that has led to them actually finding it and clicking. And for Teoscar Hernandez, something did finally click for him. And over the month of June, he has been fantastic. Now, does that happen for Eugenio Suarez? Because that could alleviate a lot of these issues for the Mariners. He's a big power bat who hasn't produced. He was the core of the offensive production last year, along with a few other guys. But his power absence has just been glaring. Now he comes through a two for three day. So if that's there... You could easily get a couple of games here or there and stabilize it. It's just that it it hasn't stayed and it hasn't been consistent. And we don't really know what they talk about in the clubhouse or what the, the change in messaging was or if that, even though it sounds simple and it sounds elementary to say, hey, let's compete every single inning. Or, you can't lose focus any single inning. Maybe that just had to be hammered home enough times and you had to reach a point of not not embarrassment, maybe from the outside embarrassment, but from a wow hey, we have a lot of pride here, a lot of self-pride. Losing two games to a bad Yankees team, maybe that's the kick they needed. And it seems like whatever was hammered home after that loss on Wednesday certainly took root for Thursday. But it's been the story of the season because every time we think, yeah, this is the one that could happen, the the Angels win on that Saturday. They get 16 hits. They get a big win against the Angels. Okay, well, good. You lost the Friday game, but certainly you can take this Angel series. No, that doesn't happen. Or the momentum after the homestand against the Marlins, against the White Sox, build into the Yankees, and that doesn't happen. So we keep waiting, and it hasn't happened yet. 
But uh, at some point, we'll say, you know what? It is going to happen, or it definitely isn't going to happen. And I think at this point, while the season has been much worse than anticipated, it is still, it's doable. You can still string together a win streak. And while that seems outrageous, look at what the Reds have done. A team that was towards the bottom of the division, all of a sudden, click the fingers, 11 games in a row. The Pirates went from first in the division to almost dead last because they've done the opposite. They've lost 10 in a row. So baseball can be that fluky and that hot or cold where a team can finally get it to click. And I'm just throwing things out there saying, well, you see 10 runs, you see 11 hits, early sustained scoring. At some point, it needs to take hold or else, yeah, this won't be the season that a ton of people thought they were getting into or that everyone hoped for going into this year. So that was some good stuff from Jerry. Um, do want to continue that because I know we have some thoughts. I know the listeners have some thoughts as well, and we will get set for the Orioles series. But I also have to bring up the fact that in true Brock and Salk show fashion, we did spend most of that interview being productive and working on ranked. Oh, of course we did. We, we just kind of uh, dove into it. We really dug around. We found the, the finer points of what completes that segment. Yes, and Mora is back to her old ways of pretending she hates ranked. Pretending, which is, right. Which is great. <laughs> even though, even though, let's, tremendous uh, let's give you a peek behind the curtain here. <laughs> Mora was getting very, and I was, oh, we have that, and we have that, yeah, like, well, and you were good. finding clips. Well, Justin and I switched roles today. Yeah, we're, we're in different in computers different today. Seats, so. so she's, she's getting know. to experience that's thrown me off a little bit. How exciting, <laughs> fulfilling it is to scratch that no, itch. Where I get frustrated is the arbitrary right. rules. We were arguing about that in break. Yeah. We uh, we were. Again, tremendous actress. It's just it's all <laughs> encompassing though if it garners that much discussion and frustration and debate. So, uh you're right. It's kind of uh it's taken root for this show. And uh, I'm glad that I think I can give it a a throwback Back to the basics of the cringeworthiness <laughs> rank that Mora has grown to despise. So we will get to that eventually. But we, uh, we have a lot more coming. Mora, stop texting in. Three, we have six, two so. texts yeah. in. Ranked yeah. is garbage. Shoot by three. Ranked. The worst 10 minutes of radio. Mora has several phone Mora numbers. Mora tapping right away back there. Oh, sorry. Before we get to break here, we're talking about Victor Wembanyama, the 7-4 number one draft pick. And if you people think Mora has long fingers, <laughs> that man has long <laughs> fingers. You saw, I mean, YouTube, Utah, yeah, YouTube saw the picture, right? It's appropriate. YouTube saw the picture of him encircling the baseball like it's a ping pong ball. If you haven't seen that, it it is, it's something I'd look it up. But yeah, I just, I wonder what he would do to a Pringles can. I mean, he would like poke all the way through it because people seem to be fascinated with your ability to reach to the Pringles can. <laughs> so I just, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw when Benyama, I was like, yeah. <laughs> That man has some long fingers. All right. Well, we will get back on track and talk more about that Mariners win and what, if anything, it could lead to coming up against the Orioles because, yeah, the Mariners, they are running out of time if you're trying to make up ground against good teams. And this is a good opportunity, but it swings both ways. If you lose, it provides a a more glaring look at the season. If you win, it fixes some of the issues. So we'll get into that. We also uh, have an Orioles preview coming up at 830 with their beat writer, Dave Wyman is going to join us at 7.30 to talk some Seahawks. And then Stacey Ross in with us at 9. A lot coming up. Don't go anywhere. Brock and Salk Show on 710 and seattlesports.com.